1: I'm going to be reading from Hebrews 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings His firstborn into the world, He says, Let all God's angels worship Him. In speaking of the angels, He says, He makes His angels spirits and His servants flames of fire. But about the sun, He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has sent you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy he also says in the beginning lord you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like a garment you will roll them up like a robe like a garment they will be changed but you remain the same and your years will never end to which of the angels did god ever say Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. It is not to angels that He has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You make them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with the glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here, I, here am I and the children of God has, children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death And he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right, I'll just pray for Mitch before he brings us the word. Lord, we just um, pray that you will just be speaking through Mitch today. We pray that um, his words will be your words and that um, we will just be able to receive and hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: What a long reading. Thank you, Julia. So last week I asked the question, is Jesus your anchor? And today I am asking you another question, which Jesus do you worship? Sounds like a bit of a silly question, doesn't it? Uh, this is a comic that I first discovered when I was at Bible college. I found it a little bit humorous. Because which Jesus do you worship? There are so many to choose from, such as the genie Jesus, the Jesus who gives you Whatever you want. Just pray for it, ask for it in Jesus' name, and you got it. Just like a magic genie. Or perhaps it's more the John Lennon type of Jesus Jesus. The peace Jesus. All he cares about is just peace and love and spirituality and all of those nice things. All you need is love. Perhaps it's cool dad Jesus. It's probably the Jesus that my nineties youth group culture has. Like, yeah, Jesus is technically in charge, but he's kind of cool about things doesn't really care about how you live. All that matters is that, you know, Jesus didn't see it. Jesus, he loves you. It doesn't matter what you do. And then lastly, the Zig -zig Ziglar Jesus. You are created to be successful. Jesus will make you successful. You will be a winner. Now, of course, that comic there, it's just a bit of lighthearted humor. But unfortunately, we do that. We have these misconceptions about which Jesus we are worshiping. And the author of Hebrews, he doesn't hold back about what type of Jesus we're worshipping. If you remember last week, I said how Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who attempted to think that, ah, this Christianity stuff, this is really difficult. Ah, I'm being persecuted, I'm being rejected, I've lost my friends and family. Perhaps Jesus isn't enough and Judaism is the answer. And so... What the author of Hebrews is doing for us is saying, Well, if you're going to reject Jesus, this is who you are rejecting. And this is a bit of a shout out to the podcast. If you want to subscribe to Banter, I'll unpack this a little bit more with Murray. But if you're if, um, authors of Greek, Greek rhetoric... They're using it to convince an audience of the strength of their argument. Hebrews chapter 1 has some of the best written Greek rhetoric out there. This guy or woman, whoever it was who wrote this letter, knew their Greek. So that's a little snapshot for banter up ahead. We'll unpack that a little bit more. But uh, this, this chapter here, which Julia read for us, is to set up this theme. If you're going to reject Jesus, this is who you are rejecting. That hits off the bat here. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and many ways. In these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After he provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This little snapshot here, this is what the breakdown of Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. Verses 1 to 3, this is like the executive summary. For those that did university, you know, you got your executive summary. This gives you the summary of your essay. He's setting up some of the themes that are going to come up ahead. Long ago, God used the prophets, God used law. In these last days, he's given us his son. And this son is the heir of everything. Everything. In fact, he tells us here in verse 2, whom, through whom he also made the universe. Let's just sit on that for a moment. Through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Again, we can just read that and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just read that word. And the exact representation of his being. This is some heavy-duty stuff here. In fact, we're going to have a little nerd-out alert. The Greek word that is in English, representation, is a re- it's a Greek word, Character. Character. You know, like it was often used in that time of coins. You would push the coin down or the die on the coin to get the image of Caesar or whoever you wanted on that coin. It's the idea here is that when you see Jesus, you are looking at God himself. You're looking at the one who created the cosmos. In fact, he didn't just create He continually holds it up by the power of his word. That's just some of the most profound and deep theology you will find in the New Testament. So if you have any doubt about Jesus not being greater, out the bat, he's just gone, he's hit it for six. You are in, there's, there's no wondering about who Jesus is. And after he does that, he talks about how Jesus provides purification of sins, how he's sitting at the right hand of God, the right hand of the majesty on high. And then he does something that seems really odd to us. He talks about angels, he goes on and on and on about angels, and you're like, oh, what's, "What's, what's the go with angels?" And in chapter one, there's all of these Old Testament references. He talks about this, like, talking about God, um, Jesus being the Son and Father, Father being the Father, and Him being the firstborn of the world and having a throne that lasts forever. And the idea here is he's trying to set apart. The angels from jesus is because the angels in jewish thinking now believed to be the ones who had delivered torah to moses so when so it's not in the bible so you can't find a bible that said oh the angels gave it to moses but it was part of jewish thinking at the time was that when moses was on mount sinai the, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, all the law was delivered by angels to him personally. And so if you're a Jewish background Christian and you're thinking about, oh, I'm going to go back to the law, then you know immediately that angels have this really important role. They're the ones that mediated the law to Moses. And so he unpacks about how the Son is greater than the angels And he ends his argument, and this is what he does. He goes to the Old Testament time and time again to make his point. But then he finishes his argument over in chapter 2, and he says here, We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we will do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment... How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? He's like, okay, like you guys know how important the law is. You know how important this law that was delivered by the angels to Moses. You know the punishment that that people receive for disobeying the law? How much more if you disobey Jesus, God's son? The heir of the cosmos, the creator of the cosmos, the one who's forgiven us, the one who's sitting at the right hand of God right now. And this is what Hebrews does a bit. It gives us some theology about Jesus, shows how he fulfills the Old Testament, and he gives you a warning. And, and, that, and that language there, we must be careful not to drift away. It's a, it's a nautical term, like an anchor being rooted. Now, I did some research this week on some Anchors And apparently, those who are boat owners in this room, looking at you, Cam, Manson Anchors. Do you have a Manson anchor? No. Well, apparently Manson Anchors, they're like like the top dog. You're on their website. There's all these five-star reviews about saying, hey, I was on my 35-foot boat and this massive monsoon blew in and the anchor just stayed there. The boat did not move. Time and time again, Manson Anchors. These are like world-renowned, according to their website, five-star ratings and there's i couldn't i couldn't put it up unfortunately if i did in some wasting of time this week did google boats drifting away and there's a hilarious footage of these kids that not moored their like sailing boat properly then you see the boat just drifting away and these kids swimming after this boat trying to get it and stop it we, we, we that's, that's the image that the author of hebrews is trying to instill in us like that anchor image of jesus and it is easy to drift, and drifting's so dangerous. Like if, uh, I used to swim at the ocean quite a lot, and you'd be between the flags, and you just wouldn't notice it. The current just sort of. Uh, then you look over. Like, oh wow, I'm outside the flags, and you've got to continually bring yourself back. It's the idea here is that, like that, like that, like that image too of you don't just boil a frog by chucking it straight into boiling. water. you do? It slowly. It simmers away slowly. This is the similar idea here we drift away slowly but surely and if that is happening to you pay careful attention since the message through angels was binding how shall how, how how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation that was revealed by the sun okay he's given us that warning and we're all kind of terrified and scared but then he comes here and gives us comfort This is how the author works. It's just this amazing writing style. So in verses 1 to 3, the Son is presented as God. Just this transcendent God that's upholding the world. And you think, wow, man, Jesus is amazing. But then he does here. This is what I love about Scripture, this amazing tension between Jesus being fully God, but being fully human. And so now he's giving us this warning. He's like, hey, actually okay, now you're listening to me, now you're a bit scared about drifting off, let me give you some comfort. And he starts re-unpacking some more about how Jesus is superior to the angels. And from verse 5, he quotes from a famous psalm, which is Psalm 8. And about how in Psalm 8, the psalmist, he was reflecting on creation. He goes, wow, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels, but you crowned him with glory and honor, and put everything in subjection under his feet. And Psalm 8, the psalmist is going, "Wow! Like, look at the cosmos around me. Look at this world that God has created. But it's humans, lowly humans, who are..." guess in terms of spiritual world, you've got God, angels, earth, humans. Humans are down here. But yet you crown them with glory and honor. You've given them dominion over this world, power and authority. And remember how in verse 1 to 3, he's talking about Jesus controlling the world by the power of his word. But he recognizes here, there's chapter 2, verse 9. But... I'll read here from verse 8. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is subject to them. That's humans. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. He recognises, okay, this world is still broken. Jesus hasn't fully come back yet. There's still pain and suffering. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death by the grace of God. He might taste death for everyone. He's recognising, yeah, the spot of place of humans is to be crowned with glory and honour, for this world to be restored and made whole and renewed. But we don't see that yet. So we recognise that Jesus is one who upholds this world by the power of His word. But we don't see that yet. Are you saying there's going to be suffering? There's going to be troubles and tribulations. And if you continue to read the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 is all about that, about how discipline and pain is actually good for us. Be sitting up as, yeah, Jesus controls this world. He will control it fully. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen God's rule and reign come into fruition just yet. Then he continues on. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Again, this is just stuff that you can read over and go, "Yeah, that's nice," but it's so deep and profound. What, what what he's saying here is the the one who makes people holy, and all Jews know that God makes people holy, is one and the same. He's flesh and blood, and so it's kind of what he's doing. He's starting off with Jesus being God, and now he's showing how he's also human coming down to their level so we can identify with them. Hey, 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 you're suffering? Guess what? God, God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect, perfect through what he suffered. I don't know about you, but I just find that just so deeply profound and mind-boggling. That, that God... Is the one who sent Jesus to perfect his perfect plan through suffering. So if you're feeling tempted, if you're feeling the pain of suffering, know that Jesus himself experienced that. And in fact, the one who makes us holy is the same as us. And he actually is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters The Greek word is adolphoi, adolphos. You may have come across that in Christian circles, this idea we're family. Jesus is not ashamed to call us family. And then he uses some more Old Testament scriptures to kind of justify his argument. And Then I'll jump down to verse 14. He says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. He's done. He's come to break the power of death. Uh, yeah, for, for humans, death is something that we all face. Yeah, While well, we say there's you know, two certainties of life, death and taxes, Death itself is not natural, it's not part of God's good creation order. And Jesus has come to do that, to break the power of death. Jewish rites, Jewish sacrifices, they can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. He's saying, He says, For surely it's not to angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, i.e. those who have faith in Jesus. You believe Jesus is Messiah? You're one of Abraham's descendants. And then he just finishes off here with, again, some very, very deep and profound theology. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Fully human in every way, nor that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Thus ends the first part of his argument. If you're feeling tempted to walk away, if you're feeling that Jesus is not enough. Remember, Jesus is the heir of everything, the creator of everything, the one who upholds everything, the one who has made atonement, the one who is greater than the angels who mediated Torah itself to Moses. And he takes us to that warning passage. Oh man, don't, don't drift away, don't drift away. Gets us all scared, gets us worried about the consequences of that. Then he re-picks up his argument about Jesus' superiority to the angels. The angels aren't going to inherit this world. It's humanity. In particular, one human, Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself suffered, just like you guys are suffering. And it was in that suffering he was made perfect. God's plan was made perfect. And so now we have the privilege to be called brothers and sisters. And then if you're feeling tempted, remember that. Well, yeah, he himself suffered when tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. And what an opening chapter. And that just sets the scene for who Jesus is. But it is interesting. As you start to dig deep into those passages about Jesus' humanity, maybe some of us are a little uncomfortable with that idea. Um, Max Licardo, in his book God Came Near he has almost seems a little bit irreverent a little poem about Jesus Um, it says here angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper universe watched with wonder as the almighty learned to walk children played in the street with him and he had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons Jesus may have had pimples He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him, or vice versa. It could have been that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure, he was, while completely divine, completely human, for 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, and had body odour. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head, head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it almost seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. Pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. A great little poem to reflect upon Jesus. Yeah, having body odor being smelly, being tired, having sore feet. Also too, reflecting upon a Jesus who also suffered temptation, just like us. And friends, for me, that's just such a profound comfort to know that Jesus is the one who created this world, who upholds it. So for me, I don't have to live in this mystery of going, oh, is there a God, is there not? I know that Jesus is holding it up. But I know that there's still pain and suffering because this world that he will come to inherit it hasn't been subjected to sin and death. It hasn't been eradicated. So in those times when I am tempted to walk away, to put my anchor into something else that isn't Jesus, to drift away from that message of hope, look to him, look to Jesus. So it says there in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Friends, let me pray for us. Lord, as we just read those magnificent two opening chapters in Hebrews, still just wrestling with the profoundness of it, that somehow Jesus, you are God, and yet you are fully human, just like us in this room. And Lord, you love us so much that you're willing to suffer for us, to make us holy, to call us brothers and sisters, a family in Jesus. Lord, as we just live in a world full of temptations and trials and difficulties, things that may push us away, may cause us to drift away, ask that we can look to Jesus, who is the pioneer of our faith. So I pray for your help in us doing this and to remember that you suffered Lord, so our suffering is just a minute compared to what you went through, in order for us to receive the glory that you've promised for us. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate